0: Greetings fellow traveler on this little rock tumbling through space, I'm Fred. This is my front porch. Come and sit a bit and let's talk for a little while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. Philosophy. Meditation and Changing the World. Fred's Front Porch is honored to welcome Josh Byshynski, a PhD in neuroscience, a TED Talks speaker on the topic of Google, and a meditation specialist. He's a scientist and a philosopher, and he stopped by the porch to discuss how we seek the good. This is a deeper and more general conversation than you're used to hearing on the old front porch. So, what is the good? This is a difficult concept to grasp, yet it's essential in driving our lives. We'll delve into that. Descartes and the idea of, I think, therefore I am, and that all of this is an illusion, is also worth considering. So we do. How do we solve moral problems? How does one decide between conflicting goods? We'll get into that. Josh, an expert in meditation, runs us through a brief example of a serious experience of it. He'll show us how to spin the clouds. My microphone didn't give me the performance on Zencaster that I had hoped. I apologize for my money sound. It will get better. So now, let's meet Josh.
1: Uh, for the introductions, uh, I have uh, I have a master's degree, a PhD, ABD in neuroscience, psychology, and philosophy from York University. Uh, I, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't know a lot of the people who are doing the meditation right now. I don't know a lot of the the landscape. I'm just kind of starting to get into it. It's okay. like I kind of went into a cave. And mm-hmm. like, like my Sufistic uh, uh, mentors, some of them, I've gone into a cave uh, like Al Ghazali and I've been there for a thousand years and now I'm coming out going, ah, <laughs> hello yeah. world. And I have really no idea who's saying what or who's doing what when it comes to meditation. Uh, uh, I, I've studied, of course, a lot of neuroscience, uh, some neuroscience, some psychology, and a, a lot of philosophy, mostly philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, the reason why I have a tie in to Google. Is because uh, that's how I pay the bills. Nobody pays any philosophers for anything, sadly. Yes, as, uh, yes I
0: knew. Yes, uh, yes.
1: Yeah, as, as even old Socrates lamented back in the day. Yes. So uh, how I pay the bills is by doing search engine optimization. So I reverse engineer Google's algorithms. And I uh, have a private mentorship group, which people pay me for those secrets. But that's not okay. my passion. Uh, that's, that's what's putting food on the table. <laughs> but that's not my passion. Okay. My passion is, uh, is, uh, meditation and philosophy and, and trying again to fix the world we, as we talked about, uh, mm-hmm. that is, that is definitely broken. All right. Now,
0: um, the philosophy thing is interesting to me. Uh, my father taught philosophy of education for, I don't know, 35, 40 years, something like that. Um, and I'm actually named after Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, so I have oh. a little bit, um, <laughs> Although dad was an, an existentialist when I was born and he was pissed as hell at the existentialist before I died. So, or before he died, I'm not quite dead yet, but, um, he, <laughs> you know, right. Um, but, and uh, so I have, you know, a bit of the existentialist shit in me. And uh, I, I like the idea of choosing for every man and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll buy into a certain amount of, uh, life is absurd. In that it can be. On the other hand, I also don't think you can go very far with that. Uh, in the same way that I have friends that uh, you know want to tell me that, oh, it's all a matrix and and it's all control. If everything is all controlled by someone else, you know what? I can't do anything about that. And so, why right. do I care? you know, I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, um, yeah, a lot of people, you know, we must be in some kind of simulation or, you know, the chances they think and this doesn't, this does not follow at all, but they think that this, this, right. these statistical chances that we're in some kind of uh, simulation must be, you know, high, if not, you know, if not impossibly non, not, not possible. Right. right. And, but yeah. the answer is, okay, well, so what, fine. So as long as the simulation is relatively consistent and it is, then it doesn't really matter (laughs) at at that point.
0: Well, you know, and uh, I don't believe there's anything I could do about it. I mean, okay. So, and I mean, what was that? Descartes, right? I think therefore I am for all I know this Mm -hmm. this could all be a madman's dream and I could not exist at all. Um, and that the body that I believe I have, you're an illusion. This microphone's an illusion. Mm -hmm. It's all an illusion. The only thing of which I can be sure is that there must be some form of me alive, to experience all of the illusion, I think, right. therefore I am. Okay, right. Um, but what difference does it make? This is still the reality with which I have to live, and maybe it is. You know, maybe none of this exists, but it doesn't matter. It's I, I have to work with what is, as far as I can tell.
1: Exactly, so I, and that's. It's so interesting you mentioned that because that's a lot where where my meditation picks up and my philosophy picks up from Descartes. Uh, and uh, and you're you're right. It doesn't matter if this is an illusion or not. At the end of the day, uh, you know, pain hurts. <laughs> that, yes, it does. That that cannot be denied. You can you can try and deny it all you like while you're feeling it, but yes. that's only going to get you so far, right? Uh, and and the good is good. Uh, uh, pleasant things are pleasant. What you like is what you like. And so I think the basis all of the postmodern uh, speculations as to the the authenticity of reality and and the value of said authenticity is completely and utterly moot and and i'm i'm afraid your namesake is largely to blame there in some in some no, major yeah. ways in trying to trick us into thinking that that was important to begin with it comes back to plato sadly uh for for people who deny it it happily for everybody else <laughs> it comes yeah. back to plato in that the good is the good, and we need to seek the good, and that's 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 central to all of to, to my movement. That's central to to what we're, we're called the Bammers. Uh, it, it BAM stands for Bach meditation. It's the, med, the meditation style and philosophy that I've I've kind of developed over the years, which was blending Eastern and Western meditation together. And uh, the Bammer movement is seeking the good and trying to uh, optimize optimality in the most scientific sense, uh, but in all branches in politics and in, in philosophy and in education and business uh, because okay. uh, for, because the good is good and there's, there's no other reason we need, we need no other outside imperative to do it.
0: Okay, great. Now that brings up the first obvious question. How does one decide what is good?
1: Right. So it, it's surprisingly simple. Um, uh, the good, is maximal positivity it's optimal optimality it's the concept of of maximal positivity that can't get any better it can't get any gooder it's uh in plato's uh book the republic in book seven uh, the cave metaphor the good was represented Mm -hmm. by the sun and i don't know if you remember uh the republic very well but uh the philosopher kind of drags the uh, student up kicking and screaming through, uh, despite their moral indignation of of what wokeisms they've been trained with or on whichever side, the right yeah. or the left side, whichever tribe they're in, right currently, right, and uh, despite their uh, the boards of habituation, their their habits to look at certain problems certain ways with certain uh, uh, moralisms they've been been trained with, the philosopher drags them up and uh, goes past the uh, the representation of of the the images of the good that everybody thinks they have like money sex fame you know some right. good things but they what makes them all good to begin with they all participate in this 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 overarching positivity they all they all participate to the degree that they are good right they all participate in some way to this overarching positivity this overall overarching like, likeness there's something likeable about them and the most likeable likeness is the concept we're talking about it's the pure product and mm-hmm. in the in the cave metaphor it was it was the sun was the image and you turn your eyes to it and once you turn and plato says once you turn your eyes to it it burns an image in your eyes and you have to look away but then when you're outside of the cave you can be, you can become accustomed you're no longer a cave dweller and this is the kind of enlightenment that we're trying to seek in in the bammer movement okay uh, this is kind of an this is the kind of enlightenment that we're trying to seek of of living in the realm of the good living outside the cave and uh, it's a lot like The Matrix, uh, you know, and the Warchowski's are very intelligent filmmakers, for those of you who have seen The Matrix, and it's a lot like when Neo wakes up and sees the world for what it is and then goes to live in another utopic place. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that notion as well built in.
0: Okay. Um, so w- the good then is something that exists independent of – of our observation of it or of our understanding of it i mean i'm thinking of the sun which whether i observe the sun or not it's still there uh and so yeah. i'm asking it, the good is is something that is i almost tangible uh maybe that's not quite the right word um can you go a little deeper with that i need to understand that a little better
1: and you know fred that's the exact right question to be asking because that's what your namesake. I can't believe you're named after Friedrich Nietzsche. This is well, you this know, is blo- oh, yes. this is blowing my mind. And he's one of my favorite philosophers. Don't get me wrong. We don't he's, spell was- our
0: names the same way, but okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> good, good,
1: good. Dad didn't uh, think
0: that was unique. I had F R E D R I K. As far as I know, that is unique. So you know, that was his. Thing. But yeah, <laughs> right. go ahead.
1: Right, um, and it's largely due to Nietzsche um, that they. Nietzsche found democracy disgusting as i'm I'm sure you're probably going to know most of what I'm saying here, given that it's uh-huh. your namesake and, and your heritage you're talking about. He found democracy disgusting and he he equated it with the weak quote unquote uh-huh. and weak morality and sl- what he called slave morality. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this i don't I don't put too much stock into this but but uh-huh. but Nietzsche is far too brilliant just to ignore and so so he he was right that there is this kind of tendency in humankind in some way to to, to be smarmy and to point fingers at everybody else but never look inside and to feel a lot of resentment towards those people who might be doing better than you or those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And But the most important part of what he did was to try to destroy moral truth and the truth in general. And we can see the effect that's happening in front of our eyes right now. The fact that Trump was elected and the fact that they're they're using post-facts and post-truths and they're blatantly – uh, denying what the truth is, and they just submit their own narrative as if okay, the truth stop. doesn't you matter. Okay, to
0: define post fact. Define post fact, post truth. That's not a term that everybody is going to understand. Can you explain exactly what those mean?
1: Well, yeah, I can. Uh, and and what I'm trying to say is that that just harkens right back to what Nietzsche already said about mm-hmm. questioning rhetorically that the truth exists, and if it exists, that we can even know it because we have some kind of flaws flaw in our in our understanding of it.
0: Yeah, and okay. that
1: notion. Uh, that originally he talked he tacked moral truth with, but the, he he bled it into truth proper. That notion, that postmodern notion of uh, an equivocality in truth, that it's all subjective, right? That's going to be very important mm-hmm. later on. That it's all subjective. Right. That notion has bled into everything. It's bled into physics, right? And where they they mm-hmm. simultaneously say that the cat is alive and dead uh, simultaneously, or that if you That's merely observe. Yeah, if you merely observe uh, a light particle, it stops behaving in a wave and starts behaving as a particle. Uh, and they start saying really zany things in physics that 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 are blending the epistemic and ontological divide, the the divide of what we know versus what is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's bled; it's destroyed moral truth. Now, everyone, every first year philosophy student knows there's no moral truth, or at least they think. You know, that, that's the that's a de facto position now in society. Right. Right? There's no moral truth. It's all just your subjective opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's bled all the way into business. Business decided to start using this to do whatever they want, uh, to make more money, really. And uh, that's bled all now into politics because that's the movement that Trump used to get elected, that there's no truth. There's just his narrative.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: directly denies what the truth is. And they, yeah. they, th- that's what post-truths and post-facts are, is that they think they're living in some kind of world, some kind of, they've they quote-unquote progressed, I would say regressed into some kind of state where the truth either A, doesn't exist, that's the hard line of it, and it's just, it's all narrative, it's all just subjective narratives, or at the very least right. it doesn't matter. And that's all very Nietzsche, because Nietzsche would say that it's the strong who rule, and the strong just dictate what they think the truth is and, and go mm-hmm. with it to the point that everybody follows along. And, and, and Trump is a perfect example of Frederick Nietzsche's strong because they weren't that smart and they weren't that strong. They were just bullish, right? That was his point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know how, uh, Kanye said that, uh, Trump had dragon energy. That's it. That's so Nietzsche of what Kanye said there that yes, it's dragon energy. It's strong energy. It's vibrant. It's, it's, it's living its own truth, so to speak. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Whatever else you want to say about it, I could say a million other things about Trump and and everything. All oh, the terrible things he's done. So uh, I'm still trying to answer your question. But by the way, this is a long way of answering your no, question.
0: No, that's all right. Take take the time to do it. I I prefer a thorough answer to a quick and shallow one. So please well, go. Well, ahead. Great. Then
1: you'll you'll have nothing but too thorough for me. So when you ask what is the good and how do you know about it, in a way you're asking is it objective? You said the sun's objective. It's not even there. It's not there when I'm not looking at it. But how can the good be objective? Because this is getting into the realm of personal likes and dislikes, this is getting in the realm of subjective feelings, and it is, it definitely is, and this mm-hmm. is getting into the realm of of morality, and so how yeah. we all know that that there is no moral truth, or we know that it is at least a de facto position that needs to be encountered in the argument these days, only yes. because only and only because Nietzsche made it that way, right. Um, so how can you tell me, Josh, that there's this good we should be going for? And, and how is it objective? Well, it's, it's objective like this. It's not, it's not subjective in that it's not hopelessly subjective in that I like strawberries and you don't. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. But there's a likingness that we both do that is true and relative to us. So the good is objective in the same way gravity is objective, that it's objectively relative. The good mm-hmm. is objectively relative. It is a concept outside any of any of us or all of us that we perceive, that we understand. It's an idea. It was the most important of all ideas, as far as Plato was concerned. It was the central, the sure. chief idea. The, the idea that if you don't understand that idea, you don't understand anything in human in human life or what's important about it or what's good to preserve in it. And uh, it's objectively relative to all of us. It gets its its frequencies and variances from every single individual who is who is uh, at stake, so to speak, or who is who's relevant to the situation. All right. So, for example, if we were going uh, walking down the street and with uh, with uh, two two uh, people with us, and we were hungry and said, "Okay, let's eat. Uh, let's eat. Let's eat at this Thai place right here. Let's eat at this uh, deli right here." Uh, And I'd say no, that's no good because Melissa has a gluten allergy, and so she needs to eat non-gluten food. And that 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 deli is going to have, you know, has a bakery in it. It's going to have gluten all over the place. We can't even go in there. She's too allergic. It would be better, or I would, in my vernacular, it would be gooder. It would be better serving the good if we would go to this Thai place over here because they cook with rice noodles, and it's all there's no gluten in it, and everyone should be fine. Everyone should be have everyone there should be able to have a sufficiently tasty meal. That uh, is in the realm of good, likable for them. It's good for them, but it doesn't actually hurt anybody at the same time. All right. So do you see how the good in that situation is a rudder that orients us? It's objective. I didn't make it up. Uh, There are stuff that all of us like or dislike that that's not made up, but it's relative to everybody. And if you can get it in the right harmony, if you get it in the right frequency of, of being sufficiently good for everyone in the green, but not in the red for anybody else, how that's serving the good. And if I, it's like, oh, instead of going to this Thai place, let's say there's, you know, whatever, Johnny's Johnny's Thai place, which is uh, some kind of franchise that we know Melissa likes even more, and it's still mm-hmm. fine for all of us. We go, well, let's go there instead, because that's even better. Better right. still, right? Gooder still. And it's that seeking the, the, the roof, the seeking the, the pinnacle of goodness that you can never necessarily achieve practically, but you're always trying to seek it and you understand it theoretically, that's what infuses the movement, and that's that's what that it, it orients our our morality. And I think orients morality. Period. And so I hope that goes some way to showing you how the the, the good is objective, and not just subjectively meaningless. Like I like strawberries,
0: right? Okay, and it does. Um, which now brings up, in my mind at least, the next question. Um, I would suggest I, I would submit that a moral question is never. A question of good versus evil and the reason is there's not really a problem there choose the good okay that was that's not a problem a moral problem arises when i have to choose between conflicting goods Mm -hmm. the the classic example uh it's the policeman's ball or whatever. All the policemen are gone. Uh, my wife is going to die without some particular drug that they have down at the, at, at the pharmacy. I don't have any money. Um, so I'm going to break into the pharmacy and steal the drug and give it to my wife. Now I have conflicting goods. There is the good of upholding the law. We do not break into pharmacies and steal things. There is the good of allowing my wife To live, then I have the conflicting goods. I need to choose between them, and then that would be where a moral problem arises. Does that sound okay? So then, how do you can you do that on your good scale—the green versus the red—and everything? Is that how you would solve a problem like that?
1: Of course, yeah. And no, you're you're very wise to to bring that up. That's of course the next question. It's like, okay, Josh. Yes, this is all well and good when everyone when 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 you have a win-win scenario for everybody. We're all in the green life is life is good but before i answer your question i just want to take a step back and say how remarkable it is that once you discover what the good is let us not discount the win-win scenarios right let us not let us not just brush over everyone being in the green and how good that is yes. and now we've out of the muck and out of the 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 mire and the and of the chaos and the confusion we've found our moral we've found a true objective moral principle that we can all appeal to and and uh and it, it it's not there's more problems in just even trying to just seek the the uh uh just the win-win scenarios. I mean we we even tribalism gets in the way of us and even disagreeing in just the win-win scenarios. Uh-huh. so so that's not I know you weren't trying to say this, but I just want to mention this that of course that's not trivial either. We still, but we're, we're we're people of conscience will still disagree even on the win-win scenarios but let's go to what appears to be what you've painted as a win-lose scenario and i w- the policeman's ball scenario and i would say in this particular scenario for me it's it's a no-brainer um if you accept that the good is is the objective the objective rudder that we should be following anyway yes. and and my argument for that is well because it's gooder nothing is gooder mm-hmm. than the gooder it's 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 self-contained, right? There's no nothing's better than what's the best. So so this is okay. what we should be doing. But in the scenario where we have to apparently hurt somebody else, I would say, and it's a bit of a cop-out, but the policeman's ball scenario isn't isn't that big of a, a moral problem for me. I would in an instant break the window, take the medicine, uh, leave a note saying, I'll pay you back when I can, mm-hmm. and and give it to my wife. I mean, clearly. The amount of damage it would cause to multiple members of the good to have you know this person die just because she couldn't get the medication she needed so tragically, right, is far far worse than the small uh, financial uh, outcome or output that it puts the it puts the pharmacist in, and 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 don't don't get me wrong, the good is not simply utilitarianism. Okay. Utilitarianism is a failure of moral theory. We only make utilitarianism style decisions, hurting the minority to help the majority, or uh, we're not even we're not even doing that. I'm I'm hurting I'm hurting one person to save one other person. Right. It, it, but let's let's say it was utilitarian just so I can make this point: is that utilitarianism is a failure of morality because someone in that in that struggle has to be hurt necessarily. So so although I couldn't call my action to steal from the pharmacist moral because. Morality can't harbor any negativity or badness, or morality isn't as moral as it pretends to be. Yes. But I can say it's justified, and I can still say it's overall moral or it's overall gooder for me to do this. And I think that that policeman's ball um, uh, uh, thought experiment that you point out shows how poor our moral theory currently is right now. Right now, our Mm -hmm. moral theory, despite Nietzsche's best efforts, is still dominated by the Judeo-Christian concept of white or black. Good, you yeah. know, sin or not a sin, you know, right. Kantian duty or not a duty. You, you know, it's, 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 it's a right or wrong. It's a zero sum game that does not allow of any kind of texture and does not allow of any kind of, of, uh, ability to adjudicate between competing goods. And that's a lot of the reason why we fail because that moral theory is simply not commensurate with the world we live in. And so a lot of people just Uh, Don't follow it properly, or give up on it uh, in general.
0: Now, I want to take this then to the next logical step in my mind. Okay, we have agreed that you know we would break into the pharmacy because we're not going to let someone die for medicine that for a lack of medicine they could have um, over money, which then forces the question: um, Isn't that what we morally, as a society, should do about healthcare? Shouldn't that be available to every human being, regardless of the number of of uh, pieces of, of of cotton and linen that they have collected with that nice printing on it? Should that morally not be accessible to everyone?
1: Right. So, I mean, I'll tell you now, Fred. Of course, I'm Canadian, so you're 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 largely preaching to the choir on this one. Okay. And- uh, for our listeners, we're we're recording this right now in the coronavirus uh, outbreak of 2020. It's uh, middle of April. I've been on uh, self-imposed quarantine for a month and a half. I'm going crazy in my house here. I'm, I'm glad this is a podcast, and not a video podcast, because let me tell you, my hair is crazy. My beard's crazy. It's I don't
0: even own a camera, and there's a reason for that. But yeah, go
1: ahead. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, I mean, yes, it's so obvious now. And if one good thing comes out of this coronavirus, it shows that no, your health care cannot be tied to your living wage. Healthcare must be a right. It must be con- be considered a right. The, uh, the, the general person needs to, to consider health care a right and it needs to be provided like a utility for life because it's required. You know, it just is, obviously. You need health care for life. The, so- yes. the society re- at large requires health care to be a right for everybody and granted to everybody in sufficient measure, Because then if you don't, then we have pandemics like this and we have outbreaks like this where the society, where the society as like a body, it doesn't have an immune system. It has plenty of cells out there that don't have protection. And then the entire, the entire body gets sick and then even worse outcomes occur. Uh, And then the more you have bad management on top of that, of course, cough, cough, Trump again. And the more you have uh, tribalism on top of that, cough, cough, the left and the right, being yeah. so far divided and and can't see any common ground right that just exacerbates the problem and of course the worse it gets there's no enlightenment in this system there's no harmony in this system there's no gooding in this system and so batting occurs so bad happens so it's it's it, when you take a when you really start to understand the good it really becomes quite obvious what the problems are and how it needs to be fixed no matter which which rubric you want to discuss it. You want to discuss it in rights? Fine. You want to discuss it in just economic terms? Fine. We can discuss it in any of these terms, but in all these terms, we need to determine what our value system is. And the only value system is capital V value and capital V value is the good.
0: Okay. Now see, and I completely agree with, with everything you've just said. And now that makes me wonder, um, what, what are we? Okay. We know we, we we can pretty much agree the world is not working this way, and you are an advocate of meditation. So I'm going to ask you to make a connection for me, if there is one, between changing the world from what it is, which is failing, because, for among other things, for example, I, I can get very few people to support the very basic idea that we are that there is no them, we are all us, regardless. Whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, your religion, your sexuality, whatever, you break them up into any group, it doesn't matter. We're all us. We're all human beings. And the differences between you and me, or me and Jeff Bezos, or me and the panhandler outside of Circle K are no more than a couple of chromosomes. I I mean, we are Mm. all it. Okay. And coronavirus has kind of emphasized, hey, we're all in this together. Um... And I, I would love to see if there's going to be a silver lining in the coronavirus.
1: Yes, um, I'm wondering that too.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's a catastrophe, and I'm not going to, by no means would I ever make light of the coronavirus, and I am really annoyed with people that do. Right. But yes. if something good comes out of it. It, it could be that we say, "Hey, look, the world isn't working this way. This vaunted economy that's supposed to be so great can't even produce enough masks and ventilators to handle a, a crisis." And we're this right. awesome economy. Um, the yeah. people that are essential are the ones who don't make any money. That's the it's the people working at Circle K or Walmart yep. or delivering Amazon and UPS and Uber. And did anybody notice that the CEO? could very well be on vacation right now and how would i know and why would i care yeah um and so if this goes on long enough and we survive it and i'm a little scared about whether we're going to survive it when i see people out protesting and gathering in large groups infecting one another but assuming we survive it um we would like to have a different world and i'm wondering is there a way that I can connect the idea of meditation, which I do not understand and need for you to explain. I mean, I know what it is, but I would like a much deeper understanding than I have. Um, And can I connect that somehow to changing the world? So that's, if you can kind of go in that direction, that would be helpful.
1: A word
0: from our sponsor. Fortunately, I don't have any official sponsors, and I'm not going to try to sell you any product or service except the one you're enjoying now. Or, at least, I hope you're enjoying it. You've listened to half of it by now, so, you know, yeah, you probably are. So here's the pitch. I live in poverty. We can debate whether I'm deserving of better than that another time. If you've listened to more than a couple of episodes... You have deduced that I believe all human beings deserve the basics of life. A safe place to sleep, running water, electricity, food, clothing appropriate to their environment, medical care, and education. I argue that, I think, pretty persuasively in many episodes. Check some of them out. With the pandemic upon us, I'm unemployed. I didn't make enough money to qualify for unemployment, so I have gone from not really enough money to make ends meet, but enough to contribute something to the living expenses my roommates and I share, to absolutely nothing. This is all I can really do right now. I'm 57, diabetic as they come, and I've been waiting for 14 months to get disability. I have to contribute financially to my upkeep, In some way or other, it is a moral imperative for me. For what it's worth, I work well over 40 hours a week on this podcast. So, if you enjoy the podcast and you would click support this podcast and throw in a little money, that would be great. If you do it here on the Spotify app or Anchor or wherever you're listening to it, um, you're a sponsor, I suppose. I won't do a commercial for you, but I will thank you publicly for your support. If you don't want me to use your name, that's fine. I will assign you the name of a literary character. There's lots and lots about that in the Patreon link. As of April 21st, 2020, I have eight supporters. They are Hermione Granger, Della Young, Anna Karenina, Boo Radley, Jean Louise Finch, Della Young, Elizabeth Bennett, and Holden Caulfield. If you would like me to mention you by your actual name, I'm happy to do that. Just send me a note, uh, make a comment, whatever you need to do. Let me know, and I'll use your real name. I am up to just under $60 a month right now. That's not much, I suppose, in many ways, but it feels fantastic to me. It means that I'm getting paid as an artist. That's a lifelong dream. If you want your podcast commercial-free, as all art ought to be, you can head over to Patreon, and you can sign up as a patron, and I'll be putting commercial-free episodes over there. I'm still working on a new version of the Patreon site since, to my knowledge, the old one never worked, so please forgive any imperfections. I know very little about web- websites, but the link is in the show notes, and there's some nice episodes waiting for you over there. Now, even if you can't afford to throw any money in the kitty, and I certainly understand if you can't, we're all going through this pandemic together. I want you to know that I am deeply grateful that you listen. That is more valuable to my soul than money is. If my soul is going to have a body to continue to inhabit, I have to find a way to keep that body alive. Thanks for listening. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program.
1: Sure. So the good news is we can. And uh, there, is, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a silver lining. Uh, healing can always happen both on the personal and societal level. You just need to have the will to do it. You just need to have the wherewithal, the desire to seek the good. You need to earn yearn for the good badly enough and and you can seek it. I uh, When you were talking about uh, your thesis about uh, it's not just them, it's us. I thought of the the, the quote, uh, "We murder to dissect," and so I, I thought, you know, it, it's kind of the, the, the problem of tribalism is that we start cutting people up into their into their moniker. We start cutting people up into their label, which, in a way, is 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 even if if not prejudice itself, in just trying to be accurate, it it's it it's a doorway to prejudice, right? In a way, because once you have differentiation, then you can have racism. You know, if you don't have mm-hmm. no differentiation, you can have no prejudice because you need something to hinge the prejudice on.
0: Uh, so- yeah, actually, it, Dr. Seuss, the, the Sneeches. do you remember that? <sighs> the, the one, the, the star belly Sneeches, and mm-hmm. uh, then somebody was putting stars on everyone's bellies and you had to be, then you had to get rid of the star to be, the, to be the right, the select group, uh, you know? Um, and yeah, it they were all the same. And pretty soon nobody could remember who were the good ones and who were the bad ones based on stars. And so, oh, well to hell with it. We'll, we'll just move on. Um, But that's the differentiation I think that you're talking about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's such a, it's poignant for me because, you know, scientific thinking is, is in part a problem in that all the human rational brain is trying to do is protect itself. It's like, it's okay. I see this kind of person. I label them as X, and then I see. I think I observe some kinds of of problems in my mind with X, and then I have a prejudice. Right. I'm prejudging the entire class of X with just maybe the mistakes of a couple individuals, or no mistakes at all. Just xenophobia fills in the rest. Right.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And so we're we're halfway there in our scientific judgments, and and meditation will help with this. Meditation will help with everything. Um, So let me get to that, that, that portion. So the way that meditation helps this scenario, meditation is, is uh, very popular these days, which is a good thing. The slight uh, challenge we have with meditation is that right now it's pretty smarmy right now. It's pretty hokey right now. It's, it's kind of just close your eyes and do deep breathing and, and some magic will will happen. And so that's. That's not what I mean by meditation. What I mean by meditation, I mean something much more comprehensive and powerful. I mean I mean uh, meditation in the sense of, of Descartes, which we already mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. which he talked about in his meditations on first philosophy, where he went out to the cabin and he, he came up uh, alone to get rid of all of his moral thoughts and to come up, come up with the cogito uh, ergo sam, or the uh, I think as such I am statement that we mentioned earlier. So it's that, that Western kind of contemplation, also mixed with the what's now become popular, the Eastern methods of Zen, of oblivion, of seeking oblivion, of seeking nothingness, of trying to calm down in that regard. The Eastern Buddhist methods of, of uh, trying to seek enlightenment in, in those regards. And in uh, what I've discovered in Buddhism, very, very fascinating, interesting, brilliant secrets that they've discovered in their hours of sitting there meditating over the last 5,000 years of of finding ways to get neural uh, uh, neocortex and frontal brain, top brain uh, control over what has previously been subconscious kind of limbic emotional uh, states. And there's many hacks that they know about that, that I talk about uh, in my show. Uh, And uh, and then also... um, uh, yeah. Also, fusing that with the East-West divide of the Greeks, which are you know kind of right in the middle, uh, both historically uh, and 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 geographically, and culturally, of this concept of the good, right? It's and here's the biggest thing that we're missing: is that enlightenment is all well and good, but in, if enlightenment is not enlightened, then it's not worth having. And what makes enlightenment enlightened is a positive quality to it is is the good, the positive quality, right? You can take any uh, adjective, you know, excellence, enlightenment, morality, all these things are are supposed to be good. They are intended to be good. They're connoted to be good. So for them to all participate in the good, they have to understand the good. They have to know parts of the good as a concept. Uh, the good has to, to use a metaphor, breathe into them, has to have that enthusmos to use the Greek word, the root word of enthusiasm, you have so you you're making an enthusiastic kind of positivity into these, into these concepts, and that's what fuels them, and that's how you know they're oriented in the right direction. Some people these days seems to think uh, they were tricked again by your namesake, by by Mister Nietzsche,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they seem to think, and Heidegger to, to to a degree as well, and they seem to think that um, enlightenment is about nothingness, it's about nihilism, it's about removing all that pain and removing. All the hopes and fears until you're numb okay uh, and that is that is a meditative technique for sure and that is can be a that can be a very useful meditative technique when you're feeling too much you're threshold. i've used it numerous times sadly very recently a sad story my mother passed away uh she committed doctor assisted suicide uh, just a few months ago because her leukemia was too much for her to bear it's too painful for her to bear she was she uh, was losing oxygen in her blood, and so it was like she was suffocating just in her own juices, so to speak.
0: And, and she had a doctor who was kind enough. to was There was not a legal issue here with with that? No.
1: Nope. In Canada, in British Columbia, it's perfectly legal for doctor-assisted suicide in situations like this to okay. end the, uh, the sufferer's suffering. So that's a good thing, obviously, that uh, in Canada we have that. Uh, but the point is, is that obviously, and I was there, she, she my parents, my father still does. And so my parents rented a uh, room from us in my house. Uh, they rent, they rent the first floor. And so I was there bedside with her and the way I coped with having to experience this, uh, having to watch this was through that meditative oblivion technique. Uh, and so it's very powerful. And, uh, there was another recent traumatic event, uh, that I did the same thing. And, and so these techniques are very powerful and useful when applied in the right place, but enlightenment is not just nihilism. Enlightenment is not just nothing. Being being afraid to ever feel happy or good again, in case that ever turns sour, that's not that's not a very enlightened view. Uh, I don't. Th- I think that ruptures the 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 definition of enlightenment.
0: Okay, where do you go on the idea of ridding oneself of attachments? I mean, that's rather Eastern, if I understand correctly. What is that kind of what you are talking about here?
1: Oh, that's such a good question, Fred. So, yes, so that's fascinating. Um, the the Eastern Western bridge there. So that uh, is definitely Buddhist for sure. Yes, and that is definitely important ridding oneself of attachments. But you only want to uh, that see that, but that's exactly where. Uh, uh, the religions go slightly wrong over time. And that ties into the whole commission or the ancient Egyptian notion that Plato picks up in the Republic of the digression of the regimes from the golden age that understands. So I'm really going to, I'm going to get really new age right now, the golden age that of the the society that understands excellence and doesn't have to have any rules because everyone behaves according to the good because they all seek the good natively to the rule users who don't understand why why the masters set up the system the way they did. They just follow the rules, and the rules get slightly wrong over time, and the rules get slightly uh, uh, confused over time because they forgot the spirit of why the rules were made. And that's Okay, when you
0: refer to the rules, are you, for example, the Ten Commandments, is that the sort of thing you mean?
1: Well, I don't want to... Uh, anger anyone in the judeo uh, uh Christian oh, but I mean
0: as an example i there are thousands of other such examples
1: sure I mean, <laughs> yes well yeah. particularly using that one Buddhistic, uh ridding yourself of attachments that you mentioned and the mm-hmm. bridge over to plato and Socrates is that's the that's the Socratic dictum that's okay. what he called practicing how to die now he did not literally mean you you know you're 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 doing anything negative or you're hurting yourself or anything like that it, it, it it's about letting and, and ridding yourself of attachments, the exact attachments you need to rid yourself of and the exact way you the, – the things that in you that need to die are those unhealthy desires and unhealthy emotions, the unhealthy relationships, the unhealthy habits, and the unhealthy addictions that are causing you – that are bad for you, that are causing you pain and causing the, the society pain. But mm-hmm. there's no use in ridding yourself of attachments – uh, in in so much that you have nothing worth living in your life. I mean, if that's if that's I mean, I'm I I can't speak for for the Buddhists. I'm not Buddha. Uh, I'm not the Dalai Lama. But it seems to me, uh, and I think if you ask them, they would agree uh, that if enlightenment is supposed to be ridding yourself of so many attachments that you're numb and you're you have nothing, um uh, and, and literally you're you're feeling you're feeling uh longing. You're feeling oh you're feeling ripped open with nothing goodness inside, that's I don't think what enlightenment's supposed to be. That's that's torture, right? Right. Uh so I don't think uh so yes, for some of us who are extremely desirous and extremely wanton, we have to take a more monkish approach to our our lives and we have to rid ourselves of we have to be away from the sex. We have to be away from the alcohol, we have to be away from Twitter, we have to be away from the TV, we have to be away from all our bad things that we know we're addicted to and we have to rid ourselves of those attachments only because they lead to a bad place either for us or other people or both and the exact way we know what to rid ourselves of the exact way we know how to practice how to die is to kill off those things that are not good that don't help us seek the good and make the good gooder
0: okay now i, I you know i yeah that is rather monk like and i think my problem in in that is are we negating the value of pleasure? I, I, I don't want to sound entirely hedonistic, but <laughs> how much fun is What's the point of life if I'm not enjoying any of it?
1: Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly it. And as Plato wrote in the Philebus, in which Socrates was having uh, his dialogue with the hedonist, there's, there's, uh, there's true pleasure and there's mixed pleasures, right? And so the mixed pleasures are like getting, or it's, it's like everyone's done it, it's like getting drunk. That night you feel great, but next morning you feel terrible, and oops, did I do that when I was drunk? And oops, did I contract that dis- that disease when I was drunk? Or oops, did I give that disease to somebody else when I was drunk? All the consequences come from that. And so that's mixed pleasure, which is tarnished. It's tarnished pleasure. Okay. The hedonist and the true hedonist and the true seeker of the good seeks only those pleasures that are in the green right, that I used, I said earlier, Mm -hmm. that aren't hurting anybody, including yourself. And they're as good as we can get, as much wholesome fun as we can have without hurting anybody uh, and making sure everyone is is good. And that in no way disincludes, uh, by the way, that in no way disincludes a moderate amount of the drinking and the sex and the whatever else, Assuming that everyone is is informed of of what's happening and they're all adults and and everything's consensual and everything they're making for the,
0: conscious choices, yes,
1: right. yeah, everything is for the good, etc., etc., etc. So no, I, I think it's a very interesting psychological um, uh, um, study of human beings that some of us need to go to such lengths to live what is a baseline good life. Why do some monks? And Sufis that I've studied as well in the in the Arabic tradition, uh, mm-hmm. and in the early Christian tradition, Boethius or Al-Ghazali, uh, Ibn Tufail. Why? Uh, why do these these people? Augustine or Saint Augustine for the Catholics. Yes. Why do these people need to remove themselves from society entirely, just to have a basic, uh, healthy soul that is not addicted to something? Hmm. It's unless society is much worse than I, I see it is, most people don't need to do that, right? They they can put their cell phone down, they don't have to go onto Twitter, they can decide not to have a drink that night. They you know, most people are are healthy enough in their soul, they haven't been abused enough, they haven't been unlucky enough to be in those situations. And and hey, I've I've been there myself. I'm not judging anybody. Right. But but you have to take a step back and say no. The the claim that you have to remove yourselves from every attachment, including your loved ones, uh, when you're a, when we're a social species, the claim that we need to completely remove ourselves from everything or practicing how to die is is getting rid of all the sex and so Christianity goes too far. You know, getting rid of all the the fun that goes too far. Right. It's just it's it's a balance that needs to be negotiated, and the good staying in the green is the exact way we negotiate it.
0: Because I think it would cease to be the good. I think it would slip entirely out of the green if I simply said, "Okay." I, I mean, you're right. One of the reasons that, well, Robin Williams has that in uh, Dead Poet Society, and I'm going to misquote it, but uh, architecture, medicine, law—these are necessary professions, and we need them to sustain life. But art, literature, music—these are what we stay alive for, and uh, that would be you know i i don't want to rid myself of my love of those things because right. that's when life becomes that's when i experience real pleasure that is some right. of the most intense pleasure that you can get and if i'm going to bother to breathe i bloody well want to enjoy some of it i you know I, and not at the cost of hurting anyone else and to me that's always the issue uh, an, an action is, for me, moral or immoral, and I'm way going to oversimplify, but moral or immoral based on its consequences. If I do something and it helps someone else, that's probably moral. If I do something and it hurts someone else, that's probably immoral. Between the two, there are vast deserts of, of gray area, and I am well aware of that. But I think that would be a, 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 a simple breakdown. Would you buy that answer?
1: Yeah. So I, I would say you're on the right track for sure. And we're on the same wavelength. Uh, definitely. And, and so, yeah, no, that seeking of the good, uh, doesn't require you to live com- most people, most people to live like a monk again, mm-hmm. unless you're that person who needs to be strictly away from all these things. Maybe you are, uh, you know, the good, the good has no hard and fast rules other than the good is good. And why am I seeking it? Because it's good. Seek the good. Other than that, you make up everything else, right. Tailored to your situation. Right. So, uh, because that would be good. And if it's not good, then don't do it. So, so to remove yourself from all attachments, uh, including never talking to your children again, never talking to your loved ones again, clearly that would make a person miserable no matter how good their, their Zen, uh, their Zen oblivion meditations. And right. that's, I don't think that's what the Buddha was asking us to do. I don't think, and if it was, well then, then they were wrong. Uh, and I don't think that that's definitely not what Socrates was asking us to do. and those are those are all those are all silver interpretations of what was a golden idea in uh, to begin with, in my opinion.
0: I think that's a good way of putting it. Now, let me kind of ask you to to bring this all in, in, into, uh, and I guess tie it up into um, what can what do we need to do um, to change the world? And how do we go about it? And I mean, a very simple question, you know, obviously. No, but um, <laughs> if you can kind of tie in, um, you know, how is meditation going to help help a person to achieve making the world a better place, particularly now that we have a few minutes? we I, I, The world is on pause now for a while. I don't know if it's going to be for a couple more months. For I've heard as much as 18 months, and it may be forever. I don't know. Um, what can we do? now um, and how will meditation help us accomplish what we would like to accomplish to achieve the good
1: yeah so and that's that's uh, another very very good question so uh it is on pause the world is on pause right now but of course the world can't be on pause for long and uh uh it's like a it's a flood i can feel on the back of the floodgates and it's going to burst forth i think sooner than it should uh and and sooner than um uh uh than than some of these later predictions um uh, about you know 18 months and whatnot uh, and i think it's going to be violent uh, as floods often are and i think there's going to be more casualties but regardless whether we're at a pause or not uh, a very pregnant pause or not or whether we're still in situ and still going the way meditation helps is is very it's very practical it's very basic meditation uh speaking as a practice is is just training for your soul it's training for your mind it's training for your emotions it trains uh, the emotional side how you can control and and process uh control is not the best adjective how you can process how you can negotiate with how you can rein in and how you can uh direct your emotions Uh uh and uh uh also contemplation uh how you can seek the concepts that you know by what you should be uh, reining in those emotions for. And of course, that's that's the good. So it brings you in greater proximity with the good and it it washes away the bad habits. It washes away a lot of the uh, problems that are holding you back from performing fully. it It is it is exercise like uh, like gymnastics is for the body. Uh, meditation is for the soul. It makes you literally smarter. It makes you wiser. It makes you more balanced. It makes you uh, uh, more perceptive, more creative. Uh,
0: okay. Now, for my listeners and for myself, um, I, and I know what I'm going to ask you is a, a seven-hour-long answer, and I'm going to ask you to do it much more briefly than that, but what <laughs> okay? Can you give me essentially – You know, okay. Meditation isn't just deep breathing and and saying Om. uh, Can you give us a a brief explanation of what you mean by meditation and how it differs from what most of us have heard?
1: It 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 differs in that um, yes, breathing is important. That's step one. Uh, I don't use the Om method. That's an oblivion Zen method uh, that tries to again seek. Uh, some calm, if the ohm is getting into the theta range, then that's just starting to program the limbic system to be calm, assuming you're being calm. There's so many other tricks and hacks you need to add to that. So from a practical standpoint, like literally, Josh, what am I doing? Well, yeah, you, you are sitting there and you are calm and you are breathing, but I'm going to tell you all these new secrets and all these new hacks of ways to, to hack your brain and start getting control of your emotions, both on the cognitive contemplative side with words and on the Buddhist, uh, Eastern meditation side with weird tricks of your mind. Uh, and so to just give an example, uh, for, for the listeners and, and the reason why the original question was, how is this going to help fix the world? Well, the world is nothing but a bunch of people in it. Yeah, It's just raw statistics. The more people who are wiser and more balanced and unoriented towards the good, the gooder the world gets. And that—that's right. just a plain fact, right? The reason mm-hmm. why the world is so sick right now, because all the people in it are so sick right now. Yes. And that's—that's that's, the, the country is nothing but the people in it. The society is nothing but the people in it. And the people in it are nothing but their psychologies. Okay. And so we need to fix their psychologies. We need to, uh, for those who are broken, we need to we need to improve the psychologies for those who are. Who are are uh, uh, lackluster. We need to help educate the psychologies that are coming up, that are young and are are growing, and we're all young and growing in some de- degree. Yeah. So let me give you a, a a simple, really quick example right now: a meditation lesson of of one of these tricks that you've probably never heard of. Okay. That added to fifty other tricks starts to make a night and day difference between not meditating or just sitting there breathing and going um versus what the Baming movement is, is trying to do. Would you, would you okay. mind?
0: No, please do. That's why we're here.
1: Okay, so this is this comes from the Buddhist tradition, or that's how I came by it. It could be in other traditions, uh, and it's called uh, spin the clouds. Spin so, the clouds. Did spin I the clouds. Understand? That's well. Okay. It's that's that's one way it's called in, in English. Okay. So what I want you to do right now, everyone listening to this, is is as uh, just take a moment. You can close your eyes if you like. It doesn't really matter. And I just want you to be cognizant of all the emotions right now you're feeling, all the feelings you're feeling. Uh, you know, you might, your legs might be a bit tired cause you just did a bike workout. Your lungs might be burning slightly cause you have coronavirus <laughs> as I've had for the last <laughs> six weeks. And I keep, I keep, I have to, I just muted myself to cough. So I'm not coughing in your ears. Okay. I've been, I've been doing that the whole time. Uh, And I want you to feel whatever emotions you're feeling, you know, whatever excitement, whatever curiosity you might be feeling, uh, whatever confusion you might be feeling over, what is this stuff, Josh? What are you talking about? And I want you, uh, I'm going to ask you a weird question and I'm going to ask you, where are you feeling it? Where in your body are you feeling this sum totality of, of feeling? And the answer doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong answer. There's no right or wrong for any of this. So don't don't feel like this is a test you're going to get wrong. You, you can't get this wrong. Wherever you're feeling it, feel it there. And I want you just to be cognizant of what you're feeling. That's all. Just be mindful of what you're feeling. Just notice what you're feeling. And some surprises might come out to you. you might be like, oh wow, my legs are kind of sore, or I didn't notice that before, or oh, you know, I'm, I am feeling a little nervous right now. I didn't I didn't notice that before. That's fine. That's okay. Now the next question: Once you feel where in your body it is. I want you to tell me how is it how is it moving? How does it move in your body? Do you feel it swirling at all? Do you feel it uh, mixing like a powder in liquid? And if it doesn't feel like it's moving in any direction, I want you to give it a direction. I want you to just feel it spinning like a like like a picture of a galaxy, you know, or a top. You know, those beautiful pictures we get from the Hubble's telescope of a spiral galaxy kind of spinning.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I want you to take those emotions. I want you, wherever they are in your body, I want you to spin them in any 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 direction you want, clockwise, counterclockwise. The motion might be even slightly more complicated than that. It could be kind of strange Mobius motions of going in and out on itself and collapsing in on itself and coming out kind of like weird smoke. That's fine. Just let it move. Just feel it. Let it move. There's no wrong answer. Just let it swish around the way it's swishing or – Spin the way it's spinning. Now, once you definitely feel imagine, I, I need a new adjective or adverb. It's feel slash imagine. I call it fimagine. Or, you know, there's something, something, but you, I definitely want you to feel it, not just imagine it if at all possible. I want you to tie it right. to your emotions. Right. You feel it almost like an internal tidal effect in your body for those of us who've stood in the ocean for a while and felt it moving around. That's that's what I want you to kind of feel and tie that feeling to your emotions. And once you feel which direction it's going in, now this is the key thing. I want you to break it. I want you to consciously stop it moving in that direction and move it in the complete opposite direction. So you can use your hands as a metaphor if you want, or you can just imagine it just stops and moves in another direction and breaks. And then I want you to break it. I want you to moving in another direction. I want you to break it again. I want you to consciously feel it breaking again and feel it stopping again and feel it stopping again and again and again until you're really just mixing this up and kneading up this dough and ripping it up and ripping it up and ripping it up. You can use your hands as a, as, as like you're ripping open Play-Doh, if you will. Play-Doh, not play toe Play-Doh <laughs> with your hands if you want. And that is called spinning the clouds. Uh, and uh, it's, believe it or not, it, you might have felt something attached to it. Like when you break the emotion or feelings, you might feel a slight disconnect. Yeah. You might feel it stop slightly, interestingly.
0: I did, actually, yeah. That's
1: good. That That's good. That means you're uh, even more receptive to it. And so the more you practice that, this method is is a life-saving method. This is primarily the method I used when my mother passed away to control my emotions. Okay. Plus a, plus a couple other tricks I, I, I've, I've put in. And practicing this over time will give you a greater control over what the limbic system is, is doing. And, you know, I've never plugged anyone into an fMRI for this, and I've never seen any good studies on it either. I've seen, I've seen them put Buddhists in MR, fMRIs in my studies in my PhD. Uh, hey, for those
0: of us not doctors, fMRI, can you explain <laughs> it a little bit?
1: Sure. Uh, uh, It's a magnetic resonating uh, chamber that uh, allows people to view what the brain is doing in real time by tracking the blood in the brain. Okay. Uh, You know, a lot of people have been in there for, it's that big tube you have to go into, and a lot of people have been in there for any kind of medical imaging inside the body.
0: Yeah, I think I have too, but all right, yeah.
1: (laughs) So so it's that thing, it's that thing. So they've they've done studies where they've put Buddhists into fMRIs to see what's going on in their brains when they're meditating. I don't know that anyone ever tried the spin the clouds method because Buddhists have plenty of meditation methods that are beyond this. Um, so I'm, I haven't seen any good data. On that. if anyone else has out there, please, by all means, contact me. I'd love to see it, uh, see this data. But what I suspect from a neuroscientific perspective is happening when you practice this is that you are literally getting your frontal lobe and your neocortex and the more quote unquote rational parts of the brain, the more conscious parts of the brain to take literal. A direct control of the more mammal brain, the more mammalian brain, the more limbic brain, the more emotional brain and say, Nope, I don't want to feel it anymore. Stop that, turn it off and start to interrupt those processes. And so you can start to interrupt the emotional patterns and you could, then once you've interrupted the emotional patterns, you can take those emotional patterns into other directions, which okay, is, that's the
0: next question then. Are there emotions that you were, would you suggest there are emotions that I should just try to avoid or skip feeling?
1: Well, quite frankly, I would. Um, any any emotions okay. that are not good, any emotions. I mean, that are not-
0: okay, grief, for example. I mean, you know, when when I, I can I'm, I'm sure, and maybe I'm wrong. You had to have felt grief. I felt grief when my father died. I'm sure that, that you must have felt some grief when your mother died. Am I? Is that not oh, right? No,
1: oh, no. Of course, of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. No. Okay. So I think a I think a big. I think. Um, and any psychologists out there listening to this are are waiting with with bated breath to, to make sure I say the right answer. And so, no, you okay? So you can't bottle up emotions for too long. Obviously, you can use I have hacks you can use to bottle up emotions to control emotions, but they're going to come out eventually. And so, I've also practiced uh, EMDR. Uh, and uh, bilateral stimulation kind of movements, EMDR. I can't remember what the acronym stands for. I could Google it, but it's used uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder uh, treatments by uh, in Israel and among other places. And so it helps you process the emotions. And so this Buddhist technique I just taught you, when you practice it over time, you've you've disrupted the emotions. But the question is, and, the, and, and your question is a very good question. Okay, what do we do with the emotions now? Mm-hmm. And and in in my view of the good, uh uh nothing is good or good or bad, but thinking makes it so, to quote uh, Shakespeare.
0: Hamlet. Yeah.
1: Hamlet, yeah, exactly. That was
0: Hamlet, yes.
1: Yes, it was. Uh and uh one of his best quotable plays, <laughs> uh probably yeah. because it's so long, there's so much there to quote, but yeah. Uh uh But uh so there's no there's no um utility, there's no good in grief qua grief because grief hurts. The good is in processing it and letting it go. So emotions are like food. You have to take them in and you can't hold it in. You have to let it go or you, or problems happen. And that's of course in therapy, what people are talking about to try and dislodge those emotions and get them to pass through naturally. Uh, And um, it's, it's this Buddhist method is going to help dislodge those emotions and I hope pass them through.
0: Okay. Um, would it be fair to say though, that part of of who we are is what we experience. And uh, you, part of who you are today, part of who I am today, is because of the grief we experienced at the loss of our parents. And of course, joy we experienced here, anger there, fear somewhere else. So those are uh, didn't those all go into making us who we are?
1: They definitely did. Um, are you suggesting that that there's some value to that? Uh, well, I,
0: yeah, I'm suggesting that I, I I'm not sure that I would be who I am if I hadn't experienced some of those emotions, and uh, so I, that's why let I'm wondering you, why. Let, go ahead.
1: Sure. Let me ask you a a, a follow up question then. So it's a very simple question, uh, and I hope you don't mind sharing with us. Um, no, go ahead. And it's point blank do you like who you are now? Is who you are your maximal good?
0: Maximal good? Certainly not. Best I can do at the moment, but I would certainly like to be better than I am. And I have always wanted to be better than I am. And five minutes before I die, I will still, I think, want to be better than I am.
1: <laughs> yes. So that's that's very good. I, I like that answer. That That answer is very good. And that's that would be my answer for, for your question. Yes, of course, the emotional landscape that we encounter uh, forms us. It is that water that flows over the clay, to to use the platonic metaphor,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and uh, it can form us in ways that are good or bad. Uh, and there's many paths to the good. Uh, like I said, we don't have to become a monk and be all very, very uh, to use a Star Trek metaphor, very Borgish. You know, we don't have to be drones. We don't have to be all the same. And, and seeking the good is in no way like that. You know, your path to the good is your path to the good. My path to the good is my path to the good. Maybe we can walk along the path together for some time and be friends. Maybe our paths go in other directions. That's perfectly Mm -hmm. fine as long as we're all in the green. But, um, I, and I'm not sure, and I'm not, I'm not a psychotherapist. So, so forgive this slight psychologizing of what, what you asked Fred, but, Maybe, and I, I, again, I could be completely wrong, but I, mm-hmm. I I thought I maybe sensed in there a little bit of indignation of saying, you know, this grief is my grief and, and uh, it, it, I'm going to, you know, let, let the, you know, let the <laughs> hate, you know, because I was bullied as a child. And so I, I, I'm right there with you in some de- r- degrees, you mm-hmm. know, that rage and, and the desire for justice that I feel for those who, who abused me, Mm -hmm. Uh, is definitely there. And I would be lying if I didn't say it was part of a very integral part of my, my process to try with the Baming movement of trying to seek meditation from not only myself and soothe my soul, but to soothe the world.
0: Yeah. And actually, you know, you made the, the star Trek reference and far and away, the worst star Trek film ever made star Trek five has one sequence. That's really important here. Uh, Spock's long-lost brother is going to rid Captain Kirk of all his pain. Right. And Kirk says, no, I need my pain. Right. And the the ever-Odyssean
1: character, yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, And, you know, and you have to ask yourself... um, or Picard, if, if you go that way, goes back in, in tapestry and lets himself not get, you know, makes a better decision so that he doesn't get into the, into the fight with the Nausicaans, doesn't get stabbed, doesn't right. break his heart. And it also <laughs> exactly. yes. isn't Picard anymore. And right. so I had, this is why I'm asking that is, is, yes, I, I want to suggest this, that process the emotions, but. You know, if you're using it as a, as a digestive system, fine, process them, and then excrete them? Would that be – is that a way to well, think of th-
1: it? Yes, and just remembering that we need to excrete the waste, include including the wasteful, harmful, poisonous emotions. Right. But it does definitely nourish us. It does definitely farm us. And, no, again, as long as we're all in the green, it is going to color our paths, and it's going to color our journey. And your journey is your journey, and, and your soul is impressed with with you know, to use a metaphor, with with the things that have happened to you. Um, and it's and the trick is not letting that turn you to the bad, not letting that turn you away from the good, by letting that feel you in your particular own special way, your your style, your creativity to dovetail all the way back to your namesake, Nietzsche. That's yeah. where. His postmodern philosophy should go is that it's, it's, we all style our way to the good in our own way because it's objectively relative. But the sun is the sun, the good is the good. We can chart our own course in our spaceship to get there, but getting there is what we need to do because it's, it's the good is the good. There's nothing better than it. And it informs everything that is worth doing. Uh, and uh, I think the danger in that some of yeah. the people, sorry, I think the danger in some of the people that have been injured, uh, you know, is that they carry that with them, you know, that the Picard character, the, the Kirk character you mentioned, and maybe even yeah. myself and maybe perhaps yourself. I'm not sure. I don't want to lump you into this. It's, it's our struggle with those wounds to seek the good. I think is that makes the character uh, that makes it um, to, I'll use a different metaphor. You know, it's, it's a bit of a trite metaphor, but you know, a Pinot Noir that's very spicy. Uh, mm-hmm. As long as it's still good, it's within the green. You know, as long as you still like it, it's still likable. Uh, then it's fine for it to be spicy. You know, and not everyone likes the spicy. That's fine. Maybe they like a right. Merlot. They like something drier. But, but, but uh, it is. It is what it is. It was, it was formed the way it was formed. Uh, and I think that's what makes the tableau of everyone seeking the good uh, interesting, uh, in that regard.
0: I think that's fascinating. Josh, you've made an extraordinary case for uh, for your point. Um, and we're like at the hour point and it's about as long as I can really ask my audience to go but can you give me g- give give everybody an idea where they can find out more about this? Where can they find you and yeah. all of that? Just plug sure. a little of that.
1: Will you? Sure. So you can follow me on on Twitter at Josh Boshinsky. That's J O S H B is in Bob A C H Y N S K I. And if you want to try out my meditation assistant, which has all of my uh, meditative tricks and hacks built into one free app, uh, it's at app.meditationassistant.com. Again, and, that's
0: app. in the, and the listeners look for that in the show notes. I'll put a link to it. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, not a problem. It's app.meditationassistant.com. Uh, uh, all one word, meditation assistant, no dash. And uh, it's a free meditation tool which uses all these tricks plus more to To meditate because I think I literally think we can meditate the bad way in the world. It literally is a, a war of attrition. It's numbers. The more people we have who are well formed, uh, the 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 better formed the world is going to be. And I think the happier we have of people, the happier the world is going to be. Uh, and so find your 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 perfect self. Hack your brain. Uh, and uh, I hope uh, I hope you enjoy the journey.
0: Well, thank you really so much for your time today. This was enlightening as hell for me. Um I hope you're open to coming on and discussing this in some more detail sometime because I think there's a lot of un of unexplored territory here that we could still do at another time if if you'd be open to that. That would be great.
1: It would be my genuine pleasure.
0: All right, well thanks Josh and um and we'll we'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks Fred. Thanks for joining me on the porch. I hope you come back soon. Look for all the episodes at anchor.fm/slash forward slash forward slash front porch podcast. We're also now on Spotify, Breaker, and Google Podcasts. Enjoy the rest of your day.